الحمد لله رب العالمين له الحمد الحسن والثناء الجميل وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا ونبينا محمد صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه والتابعين لهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين أما بعد We started last week the explanation of the book المنظومة البيقونية we spoke about the author and we also spoke about the importance of the science of hadith and the virtue and the status of hadith and its people or the science of hadith and its people today inshallah ta'ala i'm going to speak about or i'm going to go into the explanation of the book we read the first line of the poetry where the author says abda'u bilhamdi musalliyan ala muhammadin khayrin nabiyyin ursila we read that uh, we took the explanation of it today we're going to take the second line of the poetry inshallah ta'ala the author says وذي من أقسام الحديث عدة وكل واحد أتى وحدة. The author here says that the science of hadith has many types. What does it have? Many أقسام, many types. And in this book, we're going to take every type that is necessary for a beginner. I mean, we're not going to take every types in the science, but you're going to take a basic, simple, because you're a beginner, he's going to give you what is essential for you. But the beauty about this book is, is that it gives you the types and their definition. That's what he says. وَذِيمٍ أَقْسَى بِالْحَدِيثِ عِدَّةِ each and every one of them they're going to come with their definition Sahih what is it? Hassan what is it? Da'if what is it? he's going to give you the type and the definition straight away in my explanation all I'm going to increase on is give you an example that's it and if there's uh, more that might be needed to be mentioned here I will inshallah ta'ala but we will treat this book as a beginner book we won't bring in there extra details that you don't need to know because you'll take it in which book the next book Nukhbatul Fikr what does hadith mean so let's first start with what does hadith mean Someone asked you and said to you, what is hadith? Because the author says, So the question here is, what is a al-hadith? What is a hadith? What does a hadith mean? What is the reality of it? Can anyone... Inshallah ta'ala, try. 
Someone, anyone here know what a hadith is? The actions and the sayings of the Prophet That's it. Well, one, one, one person, one person. Wait, wait, one person. Hadith is a what? Traditions. 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 Hey. Uh, the recorded events of the Prophet. The recorded events of the Prophet. Hey, anything else? Approvals. His approvals. Uh, hey. His affirmations. Three. Hey. Hey. عملي تقريري فعلي What's the difference between فعلي and عملي صح Things you tell us stay well okay Anyone have any other answer Hey Characteristics of the person so you guys have all mentioned it. That which the Prophet said, is, that which the Prophet said, Ma Udifa ila Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Alaihi Wasallam Min Qawlin Number two, fi'lin. Number three, taqreer. Taqreerin. Sifa. Khuluqiyya and khilqiyya. Khuluqiyya. So it's anything that is attributed to Ma'udifa Whatever is attributed to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Min qawlin speech So the first thing is Speech Action Consent. Uh, characteristics. And that characteristics can be his, etic, uh, his etiquette, his manners. And his appearance. So the hadith is that which is attributed to the Prophet in terms of action, uh, speech, 
So hadith is what he said, what he did, what he consented to. Consent means someone did it in his presence and he didn't object to it. He didn't say what you're doing is wrong. He went quiet. Or he even said to the person, amazing what you just did. What you just said or did, amazing. This is called the consent, takhrir. The Prophet affirmed it, approved it. Sifa, the way the Prophet, his characteristics, and those are two ways. His manners, his khuluq. The Prophet's manners was like this. And his khilqiyah, the way he appeared and he looked. The scholars put it under hadith as well. And that's why you find the book Shama'il al-Muhammadiyyah by Imam al-Tirmidhi, <laughs> where he talks about the Prophet's appearance and the way he looked. It's considered a hadith book. What is it considered? A hadith book, because it talks about the Prophet's what? It talks about the Prophet's appearance, alayhi salatu So this is what is meant by hadith. Okay? Whatever the Prophet said, his actions, his consent. Now, obligation is taken from the Prophet's speech, not from his actions. We all together? The Prophet just, he didn't say anything, he just did it. It doesn't show it's obligatory. Okay? Are we all together? The obligation is connected to the what? Speech. The wujub and the obligation is taken from where? What is it taken from? It's taken from the Prophet's speech, That's why the Prophet, when he said, Take your hajj from me. And we were together. It became obligatory to take hajj from the Prophet because he said that statement. He also said, Pray. He's commanding the way you see me pray. Are we all together? Like in the mere action of the Prophet doing something is not necessarily. Rather, his mere action with no speech connected to it does not show obligation. So someone can't say the Prophet did this so it's obligatory for us to have to do it. No. Are we all together? What it does show is in its default position it shows permissibility. The Prophet's action shows permissibility. Jawaz. That this is permissible for the people to do. Unless there comes a evidence that this is specific to him that this is what that this is specific to him like the woman that came to the Prophet and she presented herself to the Prophet okay in wahabat nafsaha linnabi in aradan nabi an yastankihaha Pay attention to this. A woman came to the Prophet, she presented herself to the Prophet, meaning, Ya Rasulullah, marry me. In aradan nabiyyu. The ayah talks about the Prophet, sallallahu having the rights and the ability to what? 
to marry her to himself. The Prophet ﷺ, he could marry himself off to the woman without her a wali. He could, alayhi salatu Look what the ayah said after that. This is specific to you than the believers. Are we all together? So this action, Allah specifically mentioned that it's specific for who? The messenger, alayhi salatu So this is a qareena that shows, a person can't say, well, I'm, the Prophet's actions show permissibility, so I'm allowed to do this. We say the ayah said what? This is specific for you than the believers. Okay? And so, the actions of the Prophet ﷺ, by the way, what falls under the Prophet's action is the turuk. Leaving off what the Prophet left. The same way, what the Prophet did shows permissibility what he didn't do in the religion shows that it's not permissible are we all together does that make sense the way that what he did in the religion shows permissibility what he left in the religion shows that it's impermissible for you to do are we all together if the Prophet does something, it shows that we can all do it now in the religion. And if he leaves off something, it shows that we all must leave from it. We have to stay away from it. So the scholars, they put leaving of something under the actions. They put it under here. So how can leaving of something and an action be the same? Allah said it in the Quran. Allah says, Allah tells us. The people were cursed. Lu'ina al-ladheena kafaru, the disbelievers, were cursed. Ala lisani Dawood wa Isa ibn Maryam. On the tongue of Dawood and who? Isa ibn Maryam. They were cursed. Isa cursed them and Dawood cursed them. Why did they curse them? Kanu la yatanahawna ammun karin fa'alu. If they saw each other do evil, they wouldn't stop each other. Someone's doing evil. The other one would say, Wallahi, it's not from the hikmah for me to in get myself involved. I don't want to get involved. I'd they will stop saying what is haq in this majal, in this particular field. Okay, this is not good. And it's best that you should avoid it. They will watch each other do evil and no one will say anything. And then look what Allah said. This is what I want from the ayah. Allah says, Evil is what they did. Did they do something or did they not do something? Huh? Question. They didn't do anything. 
because they didn't prohibit the evil. They just was quiet, just watching. Allah referred to their lack of action, action. Them leaving something, Allah referred to it as a what? An action. Do you see? Uh, have I made, made sense here? There? Even the famous hadith which says, لَوْ جَلَسْنَا وَالنَّبِيُّ يَعْمَلُ فَذَاكَ مِنَّ الْعَمَلُ الْمُضَلِّلُ If we sit back, and we, this was the day of the Prophet was working in the battlefield, and he was breaking rocks, and he was working with his companions, alayhi salatu wasalam. The Sahabas, they said, لَوْ جَلَسْنَا If we sit down, and the Prophet's working, This is an action of misguidance. Look at this. Them sitting back and not doing anything, they refer to it as a what? They refer to it as an action. So the scholars, they took from this, that not doing something itself is a, itself is a what? It's an action. So that's why they don't mention turuq, and as an independent entity, they leave it under the af'al and the actions. Huh. The Maulid is a prime example. The Prophet ﷺ left it. He didn't celebrate it. And this is an example of something we should leave and we should avoid because the Prophet ﷺ didn't do it. It's from the what? It's from the things that we need to leave. It's from the turuq. We get closer to Allah by loving the Prophet ﷺ. We love him. He means more to us than our mothers and our children. It makes us happy that the Prophet came to this world. But we don't celebrate. Because if it was khair, the Sahabas, Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman and Ali and all of them would have preceded us in it. I don't believe there's anyone on the face of this earth that loves anyone more than Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman and Ali. That's an example. And there are many, many other examples that the people practice nowadays. May Allah increase in our hearts to love the Prophet 365 days of the year and not a specific timing. Every day that we're happy that the Prophet came to this world and every day we enjoy his seerah and his biography and his sunnah, every day, not one day. We want to do every day, sir. And not restricted to a what? A particular day. Important that we understand this definition. Speech, action, consent, characteristics. And the characteristics are these two types, manners, why has the manners been taken out of the action? Isn't the Prophet's manners not an action? Because of its importance. Are you with me, brothers? The Prophet's manners is of great significance. It's not just a mere action. Are we all together? The Prophet's manners means a lot to us. His akhlaq, the way he carried himself, the way he dealt with things, the way he was towards his companions, alayhi salatu salam. Even people that came to him, they took Islam just by his actions and the way he was, and the way he dealt with them, and the way he was. The early scholars, they used to consider learning manners and akhlaq before attaining knowledge. They used to consider early scholars, Hamad ibn Zayd, Abdullah ibn Mubarak, Malik ibn Anas, Imam al-Shafi'i and others, 
they used to say, go and learn etiquette and manners before you consider learning knowledge. Because remember, the scholars, they said, like Shaykh al-Islam and Mutaymin and others, that the manners and the etiquette is the vessel. What is it? It is the vessel in which you pour water or things in. If you pour dirty water, uh, clean water into a what? A dirty vessel, what is going to come from here? Is the water going to be good and is it going to taste nice? Huh? So that if you've not cleansed your heart and you've not cleansed yourself, the knowledge which is pure, when it comes to you, it's, it's not going to bring good. It's not going to bring good out of you. That's why Malik ibn Anas, he said, Imam Malik, he said, my mother, my mother, she used to put an imam on my head. She would put an imam on my head and she would say to me, uh, Go to him. And go and learn from his manners first before his knowledge. Look out how he carries himself, the way he is, the way he does his tasarrufat and how he does things. And then learn his knowledge. So when they learn that knowledge, that knowledge just made them greater and greater and greater. Walidalika subhanallah, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam even said, he said, خِيَارُكُمْ فِي الْجَاهِلِيَّةِ خِيَارُكُمْ فِي الْإِسْلَامِ إِذَا فَقِهُ or إِذَا فَقُهُ Both ways you can say it. The Prophet said alayhi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the one who was khiyar, well-mannered, disciplined, before Islam. Good manners. Before Islam. The Prophet is saying this. Is the one that's going to be good when he takes Islam. When he takes that manners and he merges it with knowledge, skyrockets. He's got a good base of good manners. He takes Islam. Islam will bring the best out of him. Are we all together? So that's why the scholars, they took out the Prophet's etiquette, they took it out of his fi'l. So it's important that we look and we observe these things. SubhanAllah, just little things that you benefit from the mashayikh and the people of knowledge. It was said that one of the imams of the haram today, he's the imam of the haram al-madini. Medina. A lot of you probably know who he is, and some of you may not. His name is Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Al Qasim. Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Al Qasim, this student of knowledge, Mutun, that you put in your pocket, he's the one who made it for the students of knowledge. And he's the Imam of the Haram. He te- leads in the Haram. And he teaches. Sometimes students, they come to the Sheikh. Students, they come to the Shaykh and their, their body odor is not nice. They don't shower, they don't get ready for the Shaykh. Just want to show you basic. So what the Shaykh does is, and this is something that the scholars have written in books, 
that the student of knowledge, when he comes to the shaykh, he makes sure that he comes in the best appearance and in the best manner. Like in the shaykh doesn't complain about these things and he wouldn't bring it up to the student or even make the student feel uncomfortable. So what he does is that, because he's got a halaqa where people come and they read hadiths on him and they read things on him and he gives them ijazat. The Quran, Qutul Hadith, he has that. Anyways, he takes the, sh- the shimaq that he's got in his head, the shimaq, you all know shimaq, right? The one you put on your head, Saudi shimaq. The bottom of it, he dips root or atar on it. And so when the student comes and sits next to him, if he doesn't like it, he just keeps puts that on his nose every time. And he puts that on his nose. That might seem something very small to you, and you, think, you might think, but you learn how he avoided having to make that student feel in having what he wants and this you turn to learn and many other things many other things I remember one time one of my mashayikh they have back home in my country they have a gathering or a in the masjid they've got a place where they do qaba they judge the people they judge between two people so the sheikh what he did is he judged between two people and then one of the people they said to the sheikh get out of here you don't know what you're talking about to the sheikh so now you're going to learn how you carry yourself when you're disrespected. This is the way that the person learns the akhlaq. What do you do now? How do you carry yourself? So this is where that student looks at the teacher. So the shaykh said, I have done my part. You asked me a question. I strive to bring the ruling of Allah and that which Allah and his messenger said in this issue. As for to enforce it on you, he said, I'm not a government. I'm not a government. I, I, rest, I rest my case here. Whether you want to take it or not. And the sheikh stood up and he left. What do you learn? You learn those situations. And this, brothers, by the way, it's found from the messenger, والسلام, which Abu Bakr took from. And then the students of Abu Bakr took from him. And the other sahabas took from the Prophet. And the, sahab, the ulama, they took from that. They took it from their teacher who took it from there and it came through that chain. Just the same way the Quran and the Sunnah came through chain, the ulama, they took that manners from their teachers who took from their teachers who took from their teachers until the Prophet And the last one which is the Prophet's appearance and the way he looked So now we're going to go into the first of the types of hadith. The first one, the author, rahimahullah, he starts with, he says, أَوَّلُهَا الصَّحِيحُ وَهُوَ مَتَّصَلْ إِسْنَادُهُ وَلَمْ يُشَدَّ أَوْ يُعَلْ يَرْوِيهِ عَدْلٌ ضَابِطٌ عَمْ مِثْلِهِ مُعْتَمَدٌ فِي ضَبْطِهِ وَنَقْلِهِ We're now going to go into the first type of hadith. We're going to go into, we're going to go into the first type of, the first type of hadith. The first type of hadith is As-Sahih. The hadith which is Sahih has five conditions. Hadith which is Sahih, the hadith that we would consider to be authentic, it meets five criteria, five conditions. 
Um, the first one is Ittisal al-Sanad. The second one is Adalat al-Ruwat. The third is Dabt al-Ruwat. The fourth one is Adam al-Illah. And the fifth one is Adam al-Shudud. What does each one mean? These are the five conditions of a hadith to be sahih. To say this hadith is sahih. What does the word sahih mean first? It means authentic. The first condition is a connected chain. We need to find a connected chain. The chain is connected. That's the first condition. The second condition is Adalatul Ruwat, integrity. Is it I here or I? Integrity of narrators, I'm of the narrators, precision, precision of the narrators, no. Hidden uh, defect. Um, no. No opposition. Okay. These are the five conditions for a hadith to be sahih. I'll explain each one, inshallah ta'ala. The first condition is. The chain must be connected. In other words, this individual must have narrated from this individual. Okay, let me give you an example, a famous hadith. Qala al-Bukhariyu. Al-Imam al-Bukhariyu said, He said, Haddathana Abdullahi, Abdullahi ibn Yusuf. He said, قَالَ أَخْبَرَنَا مَالِكْ عَنِ ابْنِ شِهَاب عَنْ مُحَمَّدْ إِبْنُ مُحَمَّدْ إِبْنُ مُطْعِمْ مُحَمَّدْ إِبْنُ جُبَيْرِ إِبْنُ مُطْعِمْ I think مُطْعِمْ عَنْ أَبِهِ 
Bukhari rahimahullah he said, and then Jubair ibn Mut'imin he said, Qara'a Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Suratu al-Turi fi salati al-Maghribi. That's the hadith. Okay? This is the, I mentioned this one because it's a famous hadith that is used a lot, which is, um, Al-Imam al-Bukhari's teacher is who? Abdullah ibn Yusuf. Bukhari is saying, Abdullah ibn Yusuf told me. So we will say, okay, Bukhari has a book. Bukhari, he wrote in his book that his teacher, Abdullah ibn Yusuf, told him. And Abdullah ibn Yusuf took from Malik. Abdullah ibn Yusuf is a man who is noble, has integrity, reliable man, etc. We look at Malik, we say he's an honorable, reliable man, has integrity. We look at Ibn Shihab, whose name is Ibn Shihab al-Zuhri, Muhammad Ibn Shihab al-Zuhri. A man who has integrity, noble, precision. And Muhammad ibn Jubair ibn Mut'imina is the father of a companion. And Arihi, his father is Jubair ibn Mut'im. And in the incident, he talks about the Prophet. We have all these narrators now. These are the five things that we need to check now. Number one is the chain connected. How do we know that the chain of narration is connected? Each man met this man. When did Abdullah ibn Yusuf die? When was Malik born? When, was Malik, when, when did Malik die? When was Abdullah ibn Yusuf born? We look at this. Are we all together? The second thing that we know that the chain is connected is the way that they narrate from one another, the usage of these words. Are we all together? Look at this. Abdullah ibn Bukhari said what? Haddathana. Haddathana means what? I was told by Abdullah ibn Yusuf. Abdullah ibn Yusuf told me. It's clear, right? Abdullah ibn Yusuf then said, Malik told me. We know they met each other and we know he's not a liar. He's saying, he told me. Okay. And then Malik is saying, from Ibn Shihab, Malik changed something. Malik did not use the word, Hadathana wa akhbarana. He used the word, when he was talking about Ibn Shihab, he said what? He said, from Ibn Shihab. From, can all, it can mean between you and that person is someone else. Are we all together? It can mean it. We will discuss this later. We're going to come to it. And anatun kaqab. No, sorry. What's it? What does he say, Bayquni? Mu'an'anun ka'an sa'idin an karam wa mubhamun ma fihi rawi lam yusam. We're going to come to that line of poetry in the book. But do you understand this so far? That Hadathana is used here. Which means, Bukhari saying, I was told by Abdullah ibn Yusuf, Akhbaran and Haddathana are similar. Abdullah ibn Yusuf and he said, Malik told me. But then when it came to Malik, Malik said, from Ibn Shihab. And also Ibn Shihab said the same, from Muhammad ibn Jubair. And Muhammad ibn Jubair said, from my father. 
The word an 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 was used. These imams are so precise on not the narrators only, but the way they took from each other. Am I making sense? They didn't just say, oh yeah, they, they met each other, everything's fine, just throw in their No. Malik didn't say hadathana. Malik said an. So we write an. And we all together. And the word an means from. It's like me saying, Zaid, who's here, told me. Is it the same of me saying, Zaid told me? Or saying, Zaid said. Is it the same? not the same. Zaid said and Zaid told me two different things. And so the scholars of hadith will take that into consideration. They won't miss that and they will write it. That he said this. So the first condition is that the chain is connected. The second condition is what? These narrators, how is their integrity like? The integrity, we look at two things. What do we look at? In order to say this person has integrity, we look at two things. We know there is no one who is errorless. Humans all do mistakes. So we can't condition these imams never to do mistakes. Are we all together? But when we look at adalatul ruwat, the integrity of the narrators, we look at two things. The first one is He's not consistent upon minor sins. We don't want a narrator who's consistent and continuous on minor sins. Are you with me, brothers? You don't want that. He's consistent upon minor sins. This pierces through your integrity. Your integrity goes. And the second one is falling into major sins. Okay? Falling into what? Major sins. If you fall into major sins, it takes away from your integrity. Like if the, if the Imam, he does a minor sin, but he's not consistent upon it, this doesn't harm his integrity. Because he's a human being. But if he's consistent upon a minor sin, or if he's what? Um, he's doing major sins, it's corrupted. Number three. So the first one is consistent upon minor sins. Huh? Consistent upon minor sins. The second one is major sin hey it, it depends on what type of major sin it is if he's lied for example if he's a liar he lied the people of hadith never accept the repentance of lying that doesn't mean allah doesn't take allah doesn't allah does that's between you and allah allah will accept your forgiveness like you've lied in the science of hadith they can't trust you anymore. 
Because how do they not know you're lying now in your repentance? And this is the religion of Allah. This was the deen is being passed on. So sorry, can't trust you anymore. You might be a good person, you might be better than us in the eyes of Allah. You might be in a high station in Jannah. We don't deny all of that. But we cannot take a hadith from you. Okay? They don't accept that. The third thing that they don't accept as adala is, um, I'm going to come to you, is innovation. The innovator. The innovator is a piece of integrity. Because if he's, for example, he has a particular belief, he's going to maybe make up a hadith for that. Huh? It's one of the reasons why people make hadiths up. A particular group, they love Ali ibn Abi Talib, for instance. Okay? They love Ali. So what are they going to do? They're just going to make a hadith for Ali. Okay? So this is a pierce for the person's integrity. Number five is uh, disbeliever. Number four, sorry. Number four is a disbeliever. A disbeliever is also not from the people who are considered to be udul in the religion. He's are we all together? So, a lot of news outlets, they go down the drain, right? If you follow the Ilm al-Hadith. If we followed Ilm al-Hadith, we will not listen to, we will not watch news and believe in what we've seen on the news. And trust these things that we're watching on the news. Kedib, iftira. And a lot of these things that you've seen on news, if people put it just through these five conditions, a lot of things will be saved. Sah? Do you, do you agree? The chain of narration is connected, disconnected. Rather, pay attention to this. In news, what did they say? Our sources have informed us that today this happened. The source is unknown to us. Ilmul Hadith, we want to know the source. Who told you? What's their integrity? Where were they born? What did they do? Hiding the source makes us not want to take it from you. I'm telling you, if we followed Ilmul Hadith in our day-to-day -day dealings, marriages would be saved. Business partners would stay together. A lot of things, a lot of things would be saved. A lot of things would have been a wheel together. SubhanAllah. So the stay away from minor sin, consistency or minor sins, major sins, innovation, disbelief. And scholars, they mention many, many other things, but I think those are the comprehensive four. The third condition is dubbed, precision. The narrator has precision. He's not like the Prophet, somebody tells him a narration, and then he says, Oh, I forgot. Remind me again, what was the hadith? If he says that, Pray Janaz on him. Scholars of hadith don't take him what? They don't take him anymore. But before I go into this, Imam al-Bukhari, there's a famous story of his that's mentioned. You guys have probably come across it or heard of it or it was mentioned to you. That a group of people wanted to test Imam al-Bukhari's memory, memorization. They wanted to test him. They wanted to put this man to the test. Rahimahullah ta'ala. So they sat him down and they said, Bukhari, we're going to narrate hadith for you and tell us what you think. Tell us 
whether you know the hadith. That's all they asked him. Tell us whether you know this hadith. Have you heard of this hadith before? So they sat down. The first man, he read what? Ten hadiths. He mixed the chain with the, with the wording. So he took a chain and the wording of the hadith that exists. And he changed it with the other one's chain and wordings. So they mixed it all up. So whenever the f- one would narrate a hadith, he would say to Bukhari, do you know this hadith? So the first one started, he mentioned the chain and he mentioned the hadith. He said to Bukhari, do you know this? Bukhari said, I've never heard of this. They look at each other. Subhanallah. They did the second hadith like that to him. He says to Bukhari, do you know it? Bukhari says, no, I don't. I've never heard of this. Subhanallah. He finishes his numbers, his amount. They go to the next, and then the next, and then the next, and then the next. Every single one of them does the same thing to him. When they all finish, Bukhari says, all of the hadiths which you guys have mentioned, I've not heard of them. But what I have heard of is, and he's, to me, me personally, when I read the story, what shocked me was not the fact that he knew the hadiths, because I was expecting him to know the hadiths. But was I, what I wasn't expecting, and this shows his memorization, was he knew each person, the chain they got wrong, and whose chain they were using from the 10 that were sitting in front of him. So he'd say to him, the first hadith that you mentioned, in that order, in the sequence they mentioned it, your chain that you read is the wording of so-and-so's. Take his chain and give him your wording. That's the correct. Next hadith that you used, and he crossed them all through. And they stood up and they were shocked with who he was, rahimahullah ta'ala. You might all think to yourselves, that was at the time of the early people. Okay, mashallah, Allah bari. I've seen people today of a great caliber like that. Hayyun yurzaq. People are alive. Who I've seen memorize Dawaween Sunnah, the Kutub al Hadith, Biri Jaliha, with his chains of narrations. They'll tell you every narrator in that hadith how many times he's come in the Sahih. Bukhari, for instance, and Abi Dawood and Tirmidhi, and how many times? If you don't believe me, go on YouTube and write Hufad Sunnah. There's a program done by a Sheikh in Mecca. Sheikh Yahya Al Yahya. He started a program where he called it Hufad Sunnah. And he made them memorize Sahihain, Bukhari, and Muslim. And he asks them on the spot. It's a competition. You know how people get asked questions in the Quran competition? They get asked the hadith and they read it. And he's got a very strong program of how to memorize these books of hadith. So, alhamdulillah, there's still good in the ummah. There are still people like that who've memorized. They're like a walking Islamic encyclopedia in terms of their memory. So that's in precision. And that's how your religion was protected. You Google it up, 
No, they were, their brains were like that. They would click the word and they read it. Like in the memorization for the people of hadith, if they restricted it to the memory of the mind, then a lot of hadith will not be transmitted to us. And they can't do that. It's too hard. This is not given to everybody. Memorization is not given to everyone. It's a gift Allah gives to people in different ways. You tend to find a person who has hibr. But his faham, his understanding is very weak. But he can memorize. You tend to find another person who has understanding. But he doesn't memorize anything. You see a person, Allah gives it to what? Gives him what? Both. It reminds me of the ayah, Allah gives Some people, Allah gives them boys only. Some family, they only, they only have boys. They, they're trying to have daughters. Another family, they're trying their hardest to have a boy. Another group of family is trying to have a girl. They've been trying to have a girl. Another family, Allah gives them both. And another group, Allah doesn't give them anything. The hifd is like that. Some people, Allah gives them hifd, but not understanding. You explain something to me, I don't understand. You tell him to memorize this, he'll memorize it. Another person, he can't memorize a sentence. Like his fam, his understanding is deep, very deep. He looks at things, he asks very good questions. He, as a teacher, he's a student, he'll ask you a question sometimes and he'll tip you over, like you get confused, like I need to think, I need to look into this. He's got fam. Another person, Allah gave them both. Hifdun wa fahmun. And some people Allah gave them none. La hifdun wa la fahmun. No hifd and no faham. So the memorization, they said, the precision is two types. Write this down, it's very important. Sadr and Dabtul Kitab. Dabtul Sadr means the memorization in the chest. You memorize it in your heart. Precision of the heart. Like Imam al Bukhari and others. And there's another type of memorization which is. Someone who looks after his books, he writes everything and he's kept the hadith in a safe place and he's kept it with him and it goes. So that's a form of memory, maybe not in their chest, but in a book. But they put conditions down for that book and how it should be, okay, and etc. The fourth one is. Now, before I go into the fourth one, what do you realize in the first three? The first three conditions of hadith are ijabi. They need to be found. The first three is required for it to be found. We need it to be there. Okay? We need the chain of narration to be connected. We need the integrity of the narrators to be high. We need precision. The first three. The second two, they need to be absent. The second two, 
the fourth and the fifth, they need to be absent. They shouldn't be there. What is the fourth one? Adamul illah. No defect. Some of the ahadiths, they have a defect. There's a defect in the hadith. It can't have it. This one, which is Adamul illah, this is where the true scholar of hadith and the one who read a couple of books here or there, this is where they separate. The scholar of hadith, he has deep knowledge of the defect of hadith. Are we all together, brothers? This one is a, it's a deep science. That's why I, I read the word hidden defect. Because this is a defect. If the hadith is disconnected, that's a defect. If the narrators don't have integrity, it's a defect. If there's no precision of one of the narrators, that's a defect for the hadith. True or false? It is. Like in this one, Zed. Illa, which is ghamid. Hidden defect. The eye cannot catch it. Everything seems good. Walidharika Sheikh Muqbil ibn Hadi al-Wadi'i has a kitab called Kitab called Ahadith Mu'allah Zahiruha Siha Hadith He called it Hadith which have defects but from the apparent they look fine. You look at it, it's connected. The narrators, they have integrity. There's hifd and memorization of the narrators. You're like, whoa, this hadith is good, sahih. No, it's not sahih. It's a hidden defect. We're not going to go into those hidden defects now. Example. A student comes to the teacher's class every day. And he studies from this teacher and he... He took knowledge from him. Did he meet the teacher, yes or no? Student, yeah, he met the teacher. And there is a meeting between the student and the teacher. But there was a particular day when the teacher was given a class and was narrating hadiths and the student was absent. Uh, so, correct? Can the student say, the teacher told me? Can he say that? No, the teacher didn't tell him. So he must have got it from someone through the teacher to know that that student didn't take it from the teacher, that particular hadith. And then, because we need to know, if he didn't take it from the teacher directly, then who did he take it from? That's a hidden defect. To bring that out is a hidden defect. Some of the hidden defects of the hadith is the wording of one of the narrators emerging into the wording of the Prophet wasallam. Like for example, it happens. Someone's telling you a hadith of the Prophet wasallam, or say Rasulullah said, and then he goes off on a tangent. And then he comes back to what he was saying, what the Prophet was saying. What was the Prophet's statement and what was your statement? Huh? You have to understand the scholars of hadith, they will sit down, and they will narrate hadith. And sometimes there might be a wording in the hadith they feel and need to explain it. How would the narrator know 
how would the students know that this is the Prophet's wedding or the Sahabi's or the Imam's wedding? Are we all together? These are things that the scholars will bring out. And of course, the way they will do it is by bringing extensive narrations and contrasting them together. All the students of the halaqa, and we'll talk about that, we'll go into it. How the hidden defects are known. Okay? The fifth one is Adam al-Shudud. Adam al-Shudud means this hadith has no opposition. The one hadith is saying the Prophet went right and another hadith is saying the Prophet went left. Right and left are diametrically opposite to one another. So one of them is right. Is it true? So this particular hadith, what does it have? It has a hadith opposing it. This hadith is called Shad. Hadith between Shad. Let me say something now. When do we consider a hadith to be Shad? Like for example, one hadith is opposing another hadith. Why have you said that this one's opposing this one and not this one opposing this one? Is that question clear? Are we all together? Does that make sense? I have two hadiths. Why would you say this is opposing this one instead of this one opposing this one? And how do you determine who's opposing who? Because to say someone is opposing someone, you're implying as a premise that this one is right and this one's wrong. So the scholars of hadith, they came back and they responded to that and they said, we will say the one that is um, being opposed is the one that has one of either one of these situations. It's either one of two. Um, so it's a muqalafa. Liman huwa awthaqu Liman huwa awthaqu Mukhalafatu liman huwa مخالفة لمن هو عدد لمن هم عدد لمن هو أكبر عددا منه The opposition can be مخالفته لمن هو أوثق منه He is opposing someone who is stronger than him in terms of memorization. This person is, a, this narrator is opposing an Imam Malik. An Imam Shafi'i, what did he say? إِذَا ذُكِرَ مَالِكٌ فَالْمَالِكٌ النَّجْمُ If an Imam Malik is mentioned, Imam Malik is the star. So we'll say, look, 
Al-Imam Malik's precision is set. And you, we've seen a lot of mistakes from you, generally speaking. You have precision, but not to the level of Al-Imam Malik. So, number one, you're opposing someone who's greater than you in precision. That's one. The second one is, he's opposing more people than him. Even if he's individually greater than them, but he's opposing people who are more than him in number. Okay? There are more than him. They are more than him. Scholars of hadith will grade your hadith to be what? Shad. They'll grade his hadith to be shad. You've either opposed someone who's more greater than you in hibd, or you've opposed those who are more than you. Many of the students of that imam are saying this, and you're the only one who's saying this. Something's not. Does that make sense? Scholars of hadith do that. And this can, as a side benefit, this goes to another issue, which is you, there's two faqis in a city, or there's two muftis in a city. Okay? How do you determine which of those two you need to go to? Are we all together? There's two fuqaha, there's two muftis in your village, in your town, in your city. How do you determine which one you go to? Which one do you go to? Which one do you talk to? Which one do you ask the question? The scholars, they say, you first of all go to the one who has more knowledge. Number one. You go to the one who has more knowledge. Say, I'm going to go to that one. لِمَنْ هُوَ عِنْدَهُ You go to the one who has knowledge. When both of them have knowledge, like one has more knowledge. If they're both the same in knowledge, you go to the one who has more wara, more God-fearing, more conscious of Allah Azza wa Jalla. Are we all together? And the third one is, you try to take the opinion of a third person and you take the majority. You make sense? Two of them, they are saying two polar opposite opinions. They're both the same in knowledge. They're same in Iman and Taqwa, both of them. You go to a third, and whichever of the two he agrees with you, you have two on one side and one, so you take the majority now. Does that make sense? So here, the shudud can happen on one of those two. Opposition. And we'll speak about that inshallah ta'ala in more details inshallah ta'ala. So we now taken hadith which is a hadith which is sahih. We're now going to go into a hadith which is hasan and we're going to stop there inshallah. Just hasan. And to go over hasan is going to be very easy inshallah ta'ala. Um, what did we just write on the board for the hadith which is sahih? Five conditions. Connection of the chain, the integrity of the narrators, the precision of the narrators, there not being a hidden defect, and then there's no opposition. The hadith which is Hassan is a hadith where the narrator has less precision. 
That's it. The, people, the scholars, the hadith which is sahih, the narrators in the hadith which is sahih, they have high precision. Like in the narrators in the hadith which is hasan, one or two or have their precision is not of that level, of that caliber. Are we all together? How do you determine someone's precision is high or low? They base it on the times he gets it right and the times he gets it wrong. Yeah? Once in a blue moon, one of the imams does a mistake. Yeah? Yahya ibn Ma'ilin, he said, he said, ليس العجب في من يصيب. He said, fascination to me is not the one who gets it right all the time. The fascination is the one who does no mistakes. Meaning he's saying that isn't possible. Are we all together, brothers? ما من أحد إلا وله كبوة. There is not an individual except he has a moment where he, his brain somehow mixes something. But the person of hadith which is sahih, he, it's a blue moon that he says, uh, that he would say a mistake. And the way he's yaqid, yaqid means he's alert. He's alert all the time, he's aware. When he's asked something, he's straight away, he's focused. Some people are absent-minded. Sometimes it's just slightly absent-minded. You ask them a question like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You ask them five minutes later, yeah. they say, yeah. Yeah, he said, yeah to me. That's me. And sometimes you come to me, you ask me a question, I'll just say, yeah. Yaqil, you have to be yaqil. In Imam Hadith, 99.9% of us in this room, me included, we would have been like, we would have been in the majruheen. The narrators were criticized. Sayyidul Hibdiya. And etc. The person is to be alert. I'll give you a story. Yahya ibn Ma'in and Ahmed ibn Hanbal went together. They traveled. And they said, We're going to go to a particular narrator. We want to meet this particular narrator. And the, way, the reason why they want to meet him is they want to test him. Test him. They want to write his narrations. They want to know if he's, if he's the one. We need to see his memory. We need to test him. It's what you do in universities. Entry exam. Scholars of Hadith had their way of testing people's knowledge and seeing if they're the one. And this Imam, his name is Abu Nu'aym Fadr bin Dukain. So they travel. Ahmed said to Yahya ibn Ma'in before they embarked on the journey, he said, listen Yahya, please listen to me. Am I someone you trust? Yes. This is a great Imam. There's no need for you to test him. He's known. He's strong in his memorization. Abu Nu'ayn Fadl ibn Dukayn is not the one you test. Trust me. Leave him. Take my word for it and carry on. Yahya said, I need to know. I need to see for myself. I need to... I need to see for myself. So they went to Yemen. They met Abdul Razak bin Hamam al-Sanani. They took the hadith from him. And then after that, they went to Abu Nu'aym Fadl bin Dukayn. 
By the way, I'll tell you something. Wallahi, shocking. Ahmed ibn Hanbal and Yahya ibn Ma'in, they both went to Mecca for Umrah before they went to Yemen. They went to Umrah and then they went to Yemen. When they were in Umrah, they went to the Kaaba and they prayed and they sat down and they saw a man sitting in, the, in, in front of the Kaaba. They started to talk to him. He, mentions, he mentioned a couple of narrations and from the narrations, they generally know who's who. Because they know everybody who he took from. So they looked at him and they said to him, Who are you? They both know who he is. They just want to know if, who's he going to say. He said, My name is Abdul Razak bin Hamam Sanani. Yahya ibn Ma'in said, Alhamdulillah, we don't have to go to Yemen. We meet, he's in the Kaaba now. We can just take all the narrations from him and go back to our land. Ahmed ibn Hanbal said, La. I made a decision that I was going to go to Yemen and meet the Imam in the Yemen. That was my drive. That was my aspiration. I'll meet him in Yemen and take the hadith from him. I'm not going to take anything from him now, Yahya. We will go to Yemen and meet him in Yemen. We won't change our intention. SubhanAllah. That Imut al-Hadith was something else. So they went to Yemen. And they took from him in what? By the way, this is not a website you go to sky scanners and you check for the cheapest flights. Okay. Okay, compare those flights and brothers, this is months of preparation and going on a riding beast and your water, is it enough? Will it stop in the middle of the desert? There's mosquitoes. There's the heat that they have to walk into. He's not, no, I'm still going to go to Yemen. Anyways, they went to Yemen and they took from Abdul Razak and on the way back, they went to Abu Naim Fadl al Ahmed said, I am warning you, Abu Zakariya, Yahya ibn Ma'in, don't test Abu Nu'ayn. He said, no, I'm going to test him. They entered onto him. They sat down. So, Abu Nu'ayn, Fadl ibn house had sand that was brought from the ground and was made into a stool. So you sit on that. There's no back stool. Just sit like that. So, Abu Nu'ayn, Fadl ibn sat down. And Ahmed ibn Hanbal was sitting there, and Yahya ibn Ma'in was sitting there. So they started to talk. Yahya ibn Ma'in said, I have a couple of questions to ask you. Abu Na'im Fadl said, Go ahead, ask. He's, he put five questions, and in between each of those questions, he put a particular narration that he made up from himself. And he tested him with his own narrations. He said, did you narrate? And they mentioned the chain. And Abu Nu'ayn said, yes, I did. I said, okay, that was the right one. Second one, he said, did you narrate this one? And he mentioned the chain for him. He said, no, this is not my hadith. Third, he narrated another hadith. He goes, yeah, this is mine. And then Abu Nu'ayn Fadl al realized that Yahya al-Ma'in is up to something. And he found it very disrespectful. And so Abu Nu'ayn told Yahya to stop. He looked at Ahmed ibn Hanbal and he said, I know you are honorable and great Ahmed, that you wouldn't do such a thing like this, what Yahya has tried to do to me. And then Abu Nu'ayn got his leg out and he kicked Yahya on the, on the chest. And Yahya tumbled from his chair. When he got up, he cleared the dust of himself, Yahya ibn Ma'in, and he 
got out of the house. Ahmed said, did I not tell you that this man is great? He's a, not, his knowledge, his ilm is taqib, solid. And Yahya said, the journey to Abdul Razak was worthless to me compared to the kicking of Abu Nu'ayn Fadl al-Dukain. I enjoyed that kicking because now I know his level of knowledge. Yeah? Yahya al So there's many stories like that the scholars mention of hadith. Um, We'll stop there insha'Allah ta'ala. Anything which I have said that was wrong or incorrect is from me and shaitan and Allah and his messenger are free from it. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik ashadu wa la ilaha illallah astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayhi.